What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday night on June 29th. That's the sweet sound of a pistachio cream ale from Indeed, my favorite beer. Let me know what you're drinking in the comments section below. We have a lot to talk about, so let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com and tell him Andrew sent you. All right, let's dive into it now with the Minnesota Twins. I don't even want to even talk about this game, to be honest with you. They're 43 and 35 now with a two game lead. They should be 44 and 34 with a three game lead. Going up 6 3 in the bottom of 10 and putting Emilio Pagan in that situation was one of the dumbest things the Twins have honestly done in the last. And that's even harder to top. Like, that's one of the dumber things they've done in the last couple of weeks. And maybe. Honestly, even putting Tyler Duffy in in that A3 situation, almost giving up the lead against the Toronto Blue Jays was not even the dumbest thing because you had a five. And even right now, you have the three, you have a three run lead and you're still giving it, you're just giving away the game. Why put Emilio, why put Emilio Pagan in that situation just so that he can throw it away? And I'm, I'm going to dive into like the whole bullpen situation here, but. His numbers have not been great. But I did want to talk about Dylan Bundy. He wasn't bad today, but he wasn't good. And you can skate by, and we've seen that over the last three starts. You know, you saw the beginning of the season where those first three games, he gave up one run over 15.1 innings pitched. After that, he gave up six runs and then nine runs. And then after that, just kind of keep, it just kept sort of like, it was a snowball effect essentially with his performances. And then after a while, you're creeping up in the fours and the fives ERA. Now we're starting to see the We're starting to see the same thing where June 18th, he went eight innings, gave up one run against Arizona, June 24th against Colorado. He went six innings, gave up one run tonight, June 29th on technically the day I'm recording. This will be coming out Thursday, but on tonight's game, he went five innings, gave up two runs, the third run was an error by Luis Arias, so it technically did not count against him. But still, two runs. So you're looking at that overall, and you're saying, hey, gave up one, then he gave up another one. So he's given up four runs over the last three appearances. And quick math, 14 plus 5, that's 19 innings. Four runs in 19 innings is not bad at all. And you take that any day of the week if Dylan Bunny went out there. The problem is he doesn't give you that every single time. When Dylan Bundy is throwing 89, 90 miles per hour, eventually he's going to get crushed. And as the season progresses and we get into the playoffs, that's just going to happen on a more frequent basis, especially when you're starting to play better teams and you're getting late in the season. You're only playing your divisional opponents. They've seen Dylan Bundy a numerous amount of times. 
where at this point they're going to keep hitting him. And I don't want to take away from Dylan Buddy. He pitched a he pitched a good game. He did not this game, this loss was not on him. But at some point we're going to have to start talking about the rotation and what it should be moving forward. And I've kind of drawn this up a little bit and as of right now, Joe Ryan is technically the number one starter, but if the Twins were going into the playoffs and they had to pitch a one-game scenario, I think Sonny Gray would get that would get that opportunity. So right now, I just have him penciled in as the number one. Number two, Joe Ryan. Number three, Devin Smelter. He's shown you every part of the reason why he should be a number three. I mean, apart from the Arizona game, he's given you no reason to move him out of the rotation at all. He's Whenever he's on the mound, you're almost expecting him to go six, seven innings. Like he gives the bullpen a break anytime he anytime he's on the mound. And having him there as that number three starter, name wise, sure, maybe that's not the best opportunity for your if you're just looking on paper, Devin Smelter as your number three starter is a little worrisome. But he's not pitching like a number three. He's been pitching like a number one and a number two. Then you look on to then you look on to Josh Winders in number four, and then Chris Archer. I left off Bailey over because he's been injured this whole season. He's had what maybe six, seven starts, and he came back, re-injured himself. So at this point, I'm not really factoring in Bailey over into this whole scenario of a of a five man rotation just because of his season so far. And I'm not going to dive into Chris Archer too much because I will be getting to him in an article in the coming days, but he's been fantastic. And I don't even think, like, I know at one point at the beginning of the season, he was he was bad. We were saying the same thing about Dylan Bundy. But if you really think about it, why would you move Chris Archer when he's been giving you four or five innings and giving you maybe, he's only been getting off one or two runs. So moving Chris Archer would be a huge mistake, in my opinion. Because if that if your number five starter is going five innings, giving up one or two runs, you really can't complain. And I'll be like I said, I'll be diving into an, an article about him soon. But as of right now, I would do Gray, Ryan, Smeltzer, Winder, and Archer. They still need they they still need a starter. I'm not saying they don't need one, but the the bullpen arms is what they really need, and that's what I want to talk about next. The Minnesota Twins need bullpen arms. There's no way around it. You cannot keep sending out Emilio Pagan and Tyler Duffy late in games. Really, the only two pitchers, Griffin Jackson, Yohan Duran, are really the only two pitchers you can say, hey, we feel comfortable setting them out there in the 8th, in the ninth, in the 7th. Whatever inning it is, you feel comfortable with those two out there. And right now, Pagan has a 1-3 record with a 5.26 ERA. His wins above replacement is not negative four, but prior to the game, that's what it was at. And it has not updated since then. So pardon me for not getting the exact wins above replacement, but it's still negative after tonight. But a 5.26 ERA and you are the high leverage arm. That's just not cutting it. Over the last seven games, Emilio Pagan has an ERA of 14.29. The Minnesota Twins are setting out a guy in the 8th, in the ninth inning, even the 10th inning like we saw tonight, 
with an ERA of 14.29 late in games. That's unacceptable. And I don't think they should DFA him because if I still think he has some sort of value in maybe a sixth inning scenario, seventh, that might be stretching it, but he has the stuff to at least still be there. I just don't think he should be there in high leverage situations. Whereas Tyler Duffy, I don't think he should be even on the roster because whereas Emilio Pagan, Emilio Pagan can touch 97 with a, with a fastball. Tyler Duffy would be lucky to hit 94. The velocity difference is just drastically like they're just so night and day. And obviously as Tyler Duffy's career has progressed, his fastball has gone a lot. His velocity has gone a lot lower right now. He has a negative war of 0.2. He's two and three, but he has an ERA of 14. Sorry. He has an ERA of 4.88. And as much as we want to harp on Tyler Duffy for how bad he's been, we do have to recognize and say, hey, he's been good the last couple of games. Over the last seven games, he has an ERA of 3.48, and he's looked better. And at this point, I'm not I'm not ready to buy into Tyler Duffy. I want to see more of this over an extended period of time. But seeing the ERA drop to 3.48 over his last seven games, it's, it's encouraging. If you look at his expected, I'd uh, have to double check. Okay, yeah. If you look at his expected on base, all right, whatever. I don't. I don't feel like looking for it right now. It's still very high for what a relief pitcher should be. So, the expected on base or whatever it is, just call it somewhere in that ballpark. I don't feel like looking that up. It's still extremely high over his last like 50 plate appearances that he's pitched against. So while his ERA is going down, he has looked a lot better over the last seven games. It's still not where you want it to be. He's still struggling. He's still getting guys on base. But if Tyler Duffy can just get it going for a month, for two months, that'd be such a huge difference for this bullpen because they cannot keep sending out Yoander on and Griffin Jacks to save everything. Joe Smith is on the IL. You have... You you actually don't really have anything, to be honest. I'm trying to think of just, like, options to throw out there in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning, and there really isn't anything. Yvonne Moran has shown you things, but are you really comfortable with him out there in the 8th or ninth inning? Caleb Thielbar has been really great. has been really good, honestly, the last two months mostly against lefties, but are you really comfortable throwing them out there in the eighth or ninth inning? So who are some options that could maybe look at? And I kind of, I'm going to be going over this in the next couple of podcasts. So the trade deadline isn't for another month or so. So over these next couple of weeks, we'll be going over who the Minnesota twins could potentially be signing here or sorry, not signing could be trading for. And the two guys I want to talk about is Daniel. One of them, the first one we'll talk about is Daniel Bard. He's got a 98 miles per hour fastball, 88 slider. And every once in a while, he'll throw in a 90 mile per hour changeup. If you look at his baseball savant page, he has an elite percentile ranking in practically every category. He's also got a wins ball replacement of 1.5 and an ERA of 2.12. And the only downside is that he is an unrestricted free agent going into this offseason, 
and he's 37. So you could look at it as like a glass half full type of situation where, yes, he's a UFA. He's 37 years old, but maybe that doesn't cost you as much. But on the flip side, do you want to give up a lot for a good reliever just so that he can leave in the offseason? Or maybe that he you re-sign him, but then he'll be 38 come next season. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can go through. So like what would that even cost you? Maybe a middle to low end prospect in the top 30s for them. So maybe someone like Blaine Enlo or Casey Leg- Legumina. Maybe that's too much. I'm not sure. Or maybe just throw a couple of guys in AAA or guys in AA that maybe have some upside but are not in your long-term plans. The other guy I want to talk about is David Robertson from the Chicago Cubs. Much like Bard, Robertson is 37 years old. He's on an expiring contract. He's been around the game for quite some time now. And obviously, if you've been watching baseball for a while now, you know who he is. He was a former Yankee. So maybe, hey, maybe him and Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez can break the drought. That'd be pretty sweet. This season, he's 2-0. He's got an ERA of 1.86. And he can come in and pitch in late in games. And that's what we need. And that's both Bard and Robertson can come in and pitch late in games. Not So he's not like Bard in the sense that he's going to be throwing that high 90s fastball. Robertson is going to be throwing a 93-mile-per-hour cutter, 85-mile-per-hour curve, and an 83-mile-per-hour slider. I just I really like the idea of these experienced relievers who have shown that they can get it done, especially on the Colorado Rockies where a lot of the time you might be pitching against someone and the ball carries a little more because of the altitude, or you're playing for the Chicago Cubs who have been struggling a lot, but you're still pitching at an elite level despite all the struggles of your team. And you throw those two guys in a target field. And I think two things and I think great things would happen. So far, David Robertson has an expected batting average of one of point one seven nine, which is a top two percent of the league. Minnesota could literally use that at any point right now. Other than tonight, I think the twins have done a good job in this series. You just want to count this game as a win. But it just hurts so much. Like that should have been a six-three game, and you're and you lose it seven-six off a walk-off. And yeah, and Jarrell Khan deserves some of the blame for pitching, but at the same time, would he have looked that way if Emilio Pagan didn't put him in that situation? And Jarrell Khan has struggled a bit over his last couple of appearances, but still, it's on Emilio Pagan. I don't really know what to say. These are. This is such an important stretch against the Cleveland Guardians. They're two games back on you. It's time to get it done. It's time to go out and make some trades. I don't care that I don't care that the trade deadline is in a month. You need to go out and you need to make some moves now, or this thing will be over too soon. All right, let's move things on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. They did not get Dejounte Murray as much as we all wanted them to, but looking at the overall cost that the Atlanta Hawks gave up. I'm not even mad that the Timberwolves didn't do that. Four first-round picks and two were unprotected for DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray is a great player. I think the fit would have been phenomenal. 
But is he really with? Is he really worth four first round picks? I don't think so. The only time I would ever give up that many picks, two under unprotected picks, would if you're actually going to get a superstar player, and Dejounte Murray is not a superstar. I, to be honest, I've been very vocal about it on Twitter today. The Timberwolves have, there's not many teams now with first round picks, and the Timberwolves are one of them. D'Angelo Russell will be a free agent at the end of the season, and it's unlikely they give him a contract extension. So, you put two and two together. Yes, I know that the free agent class isn't the best next season, but you have the cap space, you have your first round picks. Hypothetically, let's just say, there's someone in free agency that you really like. Or maybe there's someone on the trade block that you really want. You have the money. You have the assets to go and make that trade. If the Timberwolves made that trade today with four first-round picks, we could be looking at back at this and being like, this is a whole repeat of the Boston Celtics-Brooklyn Nets trade when they made that deal with Kevin Garnett and all those, all those picks. And they got... You already know what they got. They got... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Making that move would have been stupid. And I think we can be all happy with the idea that they did not push four first round picks out there. D'Angelo Russell, two unprotected, whatever, whatever it would have costed the Timberwolves. I'm glad they did not make that move because D'Angelo Russell is an unrestricted, unrestricted free agent. And is it really it's not like D'Angelo Russell was that bad where you need to move on from him and give up that many picks worst case scenario you just move on from him at the end of the season that's all I got really to say about it I don't think they should have done it and I'm glad they didn't but let's talk about free agency because that's what matters free agency is going to be opening up on June 30th so technically later tonight at 6 p.m if you're listening to this on Thursday the Wolves have already signed Torian Prince to a two-year, $16 million deal. The second year is non-guaranteed, so if you're really looking at it, it's probably just a one-year, $8 million deal. And one thing to keep in mind is after signing Torian Prince that there is no roster spots open, but that doesn't mean that they won't make a move, whether it be a trade, maybe... At this point, it's probably going to be a trade because they did pick up the options with Jalen Noel and Nas Reed. But we kind of knew that at this point. Like, we knew the Timberwolves would be moving on and trying to make a trade. Like, who would that be? We know that Chris Finch in the front office has been very vocal about giving Jalen Noel more of an opportunity next season. What does that mean for Malik Beasley? Is that a trade? Is that a trade for D'Angelo Russell? More than likely, it'd be a trade for Malik Beasley because... Jalen Noel can step in in Malik Beasley's role off the bench as a starter if need be. Jalen Noel can he create his own shot, get others involved. He'll be 23 at the start of next season. And he's I don't, I don't even know how to describe it because he's he plays nowhere near a Malik Beasley role where Malik Beasley is more of a spot-up He's going to take a three where Jalen Noel isn't necessarily a spot up shooter. He's more of a 
I'm good. I'm going to put the ball on the deck. I'm going to create my own shot, shoot a mid range shot, drive it to the rim. He's a great player. And I think at this point that I'd rather trade Malik Beasley for, I don't know, a miles Turner or some sort of power forward to maybe open up that door for Jalen Noel, because not only is Jalen Noel a player that can put it on the deck, he's young, but he's got a cheap contract. And it's not like Malik Beasley's making a ton of money, but the difference between $2 million and $14 million is pretty drastic, especially for a team that's going to be trying to make more moves in the, in the coming days, in the future. To me, moving out from Malik Beasley is more of a no-brainer at this point. I think they'd obviously miss his three-point shooting, but Wendell Moore almost gives the vibe that he can step into that role day one. And I think that might be a little premature to say, to ask a rookie to come in and take Malik Beasley's role. And then I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that Wendell Moore and Jalen Noel are both good shooters who can create their own shot, who can play make for others. I think the two of them can, can the two of them combined can make up for what Malik Beasley is missing at that point. So to me, I think I think signing Torian Prince is a good move, despite maybe taking up that roster spot. He was pivotal late in the season. And once he kind of got a groove after struggling early, he was actually one of the Wolves like more reliable players. He just factors in he factors in on so many levels defensively he brings toughness leadership different looks on both offense and defense you know you can throw him in as a small forward in big lineups or you can small or you can throw him in in a power forward in bigger lineup and bigger lineups last season he played 69 games he had eight starts in those games he averaged 7.3 points 2.5 rebounds one assist and 0.7 steals he shot 45.4 percent from the field and 37.6 from three. Pre-All-Star break, he he was averaging 5.7 points, but after that, once his role got a little bigger and he got more comfortable in the scheme, he was averaging 10.5 points. And I think next season, I don't really know what his role would be. I think think we can more so expect kind of that same role where maybe there is a weak stretch where he's not playing games, but the other... 20 games in a row, he will be a key factor for the Wolves, both offensively and defensively. And a lot of this kind of depends on where they go with trades and using the MLE. You know, are they going to be bringing in a power forward? Are they going to be bringing in another power forward, like another center? A lot of these things matter. And what they do with the MLE or make trades is what's really going to drive Torian Prince's role. And that's where I want to go into next. Where, what do the Timberwolves have to offer? So right now they have the mid-level exception and the biannual, biannual exception. They can technically use both, but I doubt they will. If you want to check out, I wrote an article at Let's Talk MNSports.com where I talked about Kyle Anderson, Chris Boucher, and Delon Wright. So if you want to check that out, go read that. Who are some of the other options that I did not go over in that article? And one of them is Gary Harris. Could Tim Connolly bring him back? He was a former pick of his. 
potentially. Maybe. I don't know. Gary Harris kind of struggled when he was with Orlando last season. He averaged 11.1 points on 43.4% from the field and 38.4% from three. You know, he is only 27, so he's a young candidate still. He could maybe turn things around. It's not like he's it's not like he's 34 kind of pushing it and he's kind of on the decline. He's still 27. But is he the best option off the bench when you already have Malik Beasley, Jay Mack, Anthony Edwards, Patrick Beverly, D'Angelo Russell, Jalen Noel, just all these guards that you have, whether it's off the bench or as a starter, is he a potential option? I'm not seeing it, but I think it's an intriguing option. You know, you can get a 3 and D player. The other one is Montrezl Harrell. The Timberwolves had interest in him last season at the trade deadline, but nothing nothing came to fruition. He went to Charlotte. I just I think he's an interesting fit. I don't know if it's a perfect fit because of his defensive lack because of his size and defensive lack of defensive versatility, I'd say. But Minnesota needs de- they need depth in the front court and what whatever your opinion is on him, he did average 13.1 points on 64.5% from the field. He would add scoring, he would add toughness. He kind of bring that energy that the Timberwolves need sometimes off the bench and I don't know how it would mesh with Jared Vanderbilt or Carl Anthony Towns or the history with Patrick Beverly. There's been some beef in the past, but I'm not worried about that too much. I I kind of think that if they're playing on the same team, they'd put it to the side. They seem like two really big competitors that would put their ego aside to improve winning per se, I guess. I don't see it happening, but I think it'd be I think it'd be an interesting fit if they looked to him to improve their front court. The other guy I want to talk about is Mo Bamba. He is a player that a lot of Timberwolves fans have been talking about and sort of hoping the Timberwolves go after him. And it's tough to see Minnesota actually doing it. I believe I saw a tweet. I'm blanking on who it was. I'll kind of try and find out while I'm talking. But basically, the Timberwolves have shown or they're expected to show interest. I'll find the tweet. But he could be an easy he could be an easy breakout candidate. He's a low, he's a low risk, high reward type of player. He was selected six overall. He's still young. He's coming off that rookie contract. So it's not like he's 27, 28, and now he's becoming an unrestricted free agent. The Magic just decided to not to just allow him to become an unrestricted free agent. And a lot of that has to do with how many bigs they have on the roster and you know drafting Paolo Bencaro. So That has a lot to do with it, but last season he averaged 10.6 points, 8.1 rebounds, and he blocked 1.7 shots. He shot 48% from the field and 38.1 from three. So Minnesota's been looking for that like stretch big or someone that can fit alongside Carlton Towns, rim protect. And Mo Bamba's that perfect candidate. He's not a guy who's going to be demanding a lot from the ball. He'd be a perfect candidate to block shots. He has he's seven foot one and he has a seven foot ten wingspan. That's a guy that could be a game changer. And when the Minnesota Timberwolves played the Orlando Magic, it was like he was almost everywhere. And I found the tweet. It's from the Orlando Sentinel. 
saying that the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Toronto Raptors, the New York Knicks, Lakers, Bulls, Rockets, and Heat are expected to show interest in Mobamba. And that right there gives me a lot of excitement because I would love to see the Timberwolves take a flyer on him. There's no reason not to. He's a six overall pick. He's very young. He can score points, rebound, block shots, shoot from distance. I think he'd be a perfect pairing with Carl Anthony Towns. And JaVel McGee, I want to talk about him next. This one might be a stretch just because there is a report that he's looking at the Milwaukee Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, and the Dallas Mavericks. I know for sure it's the Bucks and the Dallas Mavericks. I believe the third one was the Phoenix Suns. So maybe we don't really want to talk about him since he's not really eyeing about eyeing the Timberwolves. But just as a quick brief, he has played with he has played for Tim Connolly in the past in the Denver days. But nine point two points, six point seven rebounds, one point one blocks. He's a three time NBA champion, so he knows what it takes to win. I don't really want to go over him too much because of the potential that he doesn't actually come here. But three time champion, block shots, rebounds. Hustle player. Can't really ask for much more. Last player I want to talk about is Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo has struggled. He struggled with the Kings last season, but I'm not worried about that just because of how bad Sacramento was. It's He was so good with Milwaukee, so is the struggles with Sacramento who he truly is, or is it because he was, or is he the Milwaukee player where he stepped into his role and he knew what to do? That's kind of where it's going to be tough to figure out. But he's only 25 years old. He's a huge player off the bench. for the, He could be a huge player off the bench for the Wolves. He's got experience. They won the championship in Milwaukee. Despite struggling a bit, he did shoot 36.8% from three. But it's also important to note that he shot 36.2 from the field. You know, he is a good defender. He can shoot the ball from deep. Given his age and ability to become a role player with the Wolves, that intrigues me. He's not at the top of my list. Of the guys I just talked about, I would say Mobamba is probably at the top of the list. And not just because of the rap song, but it would be pretty fun to start saying that as, as soon as I signed him. As, as his free agency kind of comes along, we'll be going over it on Let'sTalkMNSports.com and on the podcast. So, I just didn't want to dive into it too deeply just because things change drastically. And who knows, by t- by the time this releases, the Wolves could be targeting a certain player and that I didn't even talk about. Or all these guys that I listed could be on their way to another team. You know, technically tampering doesn't exist in the NBA because no one really ever gets fined except for a few times. But we all know that teams are talking to players. It happens. So who knows what will happen, but just be sure to check out Let's Talk MNSports.com and the podcast. We'll be going over it, talking about each player and whether the fit's good or not. But if you So if you want to know more about that, stay tuned. But that wraps up our 15th episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.